Hello and welcome to The Bulletin and Beyond. My name's Kimberly Price and this week on the program, our health reporter Kira Gillespie will talk us through all the latest coronavirus headlines and our sports reporter Nick Ansell will talk us through the latest from the football and cricket fields. Kira, it's been another massive week in coronavirus headlines uh, for the Southwest. Can you tell us the week's numbers uh, in cases? Yeah, so on Monday we started off with 322 new cases and 19 deaths. So in the southwest in Colac, cases dropped down to 87 from Sunday's figure of 89, um, with total cases remaining at 109. Then there was a new case recorded in Glenelg Shire, bringing the total active cases to 16. And there was an increase in cases in Geelong, Greater Bendigo and Ballarat, which drew the attention of the Premier throughout the week. He's been making different um, announcements about those three hotspots. And there was zero cases in Warrnambool, Southern Grampians and Corangamite Shire. So I'm going to start again. So on Wednesday, um, the Premier further raised concern about increase an increase in cases in Geelong, Ballarat and Bendigo as the state recorded 410 new cases and 21 deaths, which was the deadliest day um, for the state so far. Now, closing out the week on Friday... Daniel Andrews said he wouldn't rule out stage four restrictions for regional hotspots, um, those three that we mentioned before, Geelong, Ballarat and Bendigo, as the state recorded 372 new cases and 14 deaths. One of those deaths was a male in his 20s, which was really concerning. I think it's the youngest patient to die in the state so far, and 12 were linked to aged care. And so on Thursday afternoon, you got a phone call uh, from a couple who are currently in isolation. One of them has tested positive to coronavirus twice, and they shared a bit of their story so far. Uh, what did this uh, couple have to say about the coronavirus pandemic? Yeah, that's right. So on Thursday afternoon, we had a case um, appear on the Department of Health figures saying that Warnable had a new active case, but we still had six total cases, which was unusual because, of course, we've had six all along. And we couldn't get any information out of the department. And then, yeah, I got a call um, from the partner of a Warnable man who works at Colac's Australian Lamb Company. Um, she wanted to speak out about what she's described as a confusing and unjustifiable handling of the virus by the state health department. So it's, it's a baffling story, really. The man first tested positive to the virus on July 22 when a colleague returned a positive test. In a letter that his partner showed me, he was given the all clear by the Department of Health and Human Services to return to work last Thursday after isolating for just over three weeks. But he developed symptoms and retested positive to the virus on Monday. Mind you, he didn't go back to work between that time, has stayed home that whole time as well. He was told by the department that if he didn't have any symptoms in 24 to 48 hours, he could return to work, but he couldn't be told with 100% certainty that he wasn't contagious. So that's the result that in the DHHS figures on Thursday. Meanwhile, his partner, she's a teacher at the Warrnambool Special Developmental School, said she wasn't initially classified as eligible to be tested for the virus, despite her partner being a close contact of the confirmed case. And it was only when he tested positive that she could get a test. She said she's thankful she exercised common sense and stayed away from the classroom while he awaited his result. She said that, you know, the sad and serious part about this is since retesting positive, they've both been told they can essentially go out in the community if he doesn't show symptoms. Um, but the 
department can't tell them that he's definitely not contagious. But she said the most confusing part is that the guidelines have been so grey, the department's told her that because she's negative, she can go to work and go back to the school. But she's saying, hold on, I'm living with a confirmed positive case. And this morning you had a Zoom meeting with the Premier in a regional media stand-up and you posed this question to the Premier about, you know, what are these guidelines that the DHHS are are giving to couples like uh, the Warrnambool couple? Um, So what did he have to say about, about the case? Yeah, look, he basically said because it was such a specific case that he would get back to us. I'm still waiting for that. Um, It's Friday afternoon, um, but hopefully we'll get a little bit more clarity. On infectivity and people testing positive again, uh, I'm not a a doctor. Uh, I will get a doctor to speak to you on that issue. Uh, But my understanding of these matters is we we are seeing a little bit of this, not a lot, but we are seeing a little bit of it. I was talking to the Prime Minister of New Zealand this morning, actually, and um, we've had we've had conversations over the journey about this very issue with a, quite a significant period of time between first positive test and second positive test. So what the Chief Health Officer tells me is that there can be dead virus, as he terms it, uh, that can still trigger a positive test, but your infectivity is very, very low. Um, but for the abundance of caution, and particularly as you explain. The person's partner works, you know, doing that amazing work at the special development school. Let me let me have someone from the public health team come back to you directly. And if, if that worker needs further advice or clarity, then I'll make sure that he gets it uh, today. We're hearing these stories all over the state that people are not getting clear messaging. They don't know what they should be doing. Um, and, yeah, it's just a concern, obviously, for trying to keep the virus out of our region, out of the state and drive the numbers down. Um, you know, we could be looking at that um, third, fourth wave if, you know, we're not getting clear directive. And in other news, Kira, we're going to have to wait until March 2022 to attend the Port Ferry Folk Festival. Um, This news broke Friday morning at 10am. You and I covered the festival this year. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about what your experience of the first folk festival was like? Oh, we had the most incredible time running around with our big cameras and and going backstage, chatting to all the artists, chatting to all the community members um, who all attended, you know, the festival this year. There were over 10,000 people. It was incredible. And as we've said many times, it was basically the last real big festival before the virus, you know, came in. Um, and stopped all live shows and things like that. But, yeah, an, in, an incredible contribution um, to the community. It raises a lot of money for Port Ferry and oh, it was just, you know, one of the best experiences I've personally ever had. And President John Young said this was a pretty heartbreaking decision to make, but the committee had agonised over it for about two weeks. So we're going to hear from him now um, as he talks about why the decision was made and, and his hopes for future festivals. We've agonised over this decision. Um, it really is, it has been difficult and, uh, you, you know, um, it's not something we're relieved about that it's now now going to go public. There will be no festival next year. It, it's, it's very, very disappointing. Um, but we felt that we, we had no alternative. We were anguishing about what we could do and every avenue we pushed up started to get closed in as, no, we can't really do that successfully. In every aspect, successfully health-wise, successfully financially, and it just started to get so frustrating and we felt that it was 
quite risky to continue to plan and give people expectation that there was going to be uh, something along the lines of previous festivals next March. It's very much so a heartbreaking and agonising decision. Oh, we've never had to do anything, nor ever imagined we'd have to do anything like this, but it's a new world, it's a different world. This thing is uh, affecting us in every way possible. Our sports journalist Nick joins us today. So Nick, can you tell us the latest news for the Warrnambool Football Club? Yeah, Warrnambool Football Club has managed to sign Jason Rowan, uh, which is a massive, massive uh, inclusion for their for their club. He's obviously a legend around there, um, has booted hundreds and hundreds of goals and um, is certainly a multiple leading goal kicker at that club. So he, he spent three years uh, coaching at Merivale. Um, he's decided to come back. Uh, he's grown up at Warrnambool. Um, you know, he's played all his footy there. He's come through the ranks. Um, became one of the best players, you know, in the Hamden League at that club. So it's a bit of a homecoming, really. It's just about um, coming back to your roots and, and, and being able to do that at the, the highest standard that the Hamden League is. You know, he's been away for a few years, had a taste of coaching at the Warrnambool District League, which is, um, you know, probably just a step down from the Hamden League in terms of standards. So uh, he's had that, that taste. He's a more experienced, rounded player, now he could probably come back and offer some some real insights to Warnable and I'm sure they'll uh, they'll really really benefit from his experience and leadership. Fantastic! And Nick, you're a pretty avid golfer, um, pretty keen on the green. Um, you've done an article this week about footballers going to golf. Can you tell me um, what you've sort of discovered while you've been teeing off? I like that keen on the green. That's a that's a good saying. It's almost like a I don't know, mate. It sounds a bit like a music festival or something. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, we've seen a lot of footballers uh, take up golf in the sort of footy shutdown. One of the things that golf clubs have have really been able to do is to get footballers across who would uh, you know normally be be playing on a Saturday to come have a hit um, at their clubs, which is obviously really good news for golf clubs and that they're able to diversify their membership a little bit and get people that normally wouldn't be playing back in um, or into the club. Um, football is a... The footballer I spoke to yesterday, I spoke to South Warrnambool co-captain Liam Yule, and he uh, he was saying it's just such a sea change from footy and it's easy on the body and um, the strain just isn't there. So it's something he's pretty pretty keen on because it doesn't really affect his, uh, you know, playing football prospects. It's, a, it's definitely an interesting one. I know plenty of footballers are keen on golf and have a hit socially or through summer when they can, but um, to get them playing more regularly, particularly on Saturdays and weekends and all that sort of stuff is uh, something golf clubs wouldn't normally be used to. And finally, this week in cricket news, there's been lots of news um, with cricket over the past sort of two weeks with the Allensford and Pam Muir merger. Uh, Can you tell me the latest uh, for that club? Yeah, so it's been a really big couple of weeks for for Allensford and Pam Muir. They unveiled Chris Bant as captain this week, which is... Um, probably not a surprise. Uh, he, he was captain a couple of years ago at Allensford and he's obviously played for, for people familiar with Southwest sport, you know, the band name is pretty synonymous with Pam Muir as well. And, um, he grew up playing all of his sort of, uh, you know, a lot of his junior stuff and early adult cricket at Pam Muir before he, he came over to Allensford. So, um, I mean, he's probably the, 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 the logical choice to be to become captain. Um, he's played with a lot of the Pam Ewell guys that are coming into the, the Allensford club. 
Um, he's played, He knows the, the Arnsford players inside out. He's done that before. The only reason he really took a step back from the captaincy position was because he was coaching Pamir in footy and the time demands of that were um, you know, a little bit strenuous. So, um, you know, for the most part, he's sort of that, that... He bridges the gap or, you know, he's that sort of link between the two clubs, which is, um, which is really important, I think, in the first season for a club that has recently merged, but uh, he, you know, he'll, he's also an outstanding cricketer and he's got a lot of talent, so um, it makes sense to have, to have him in that role of leadership. Fantastic, and we're definitely looking forward to the cricket season starting um, with barely any sport happening over the winter, so hopefully uh, it's, everything gets a go-ahead for the summer of cricket. Yeah, well, that's it. That's the only thing. I think at the moment, WDCA has said... They said last week that they're willing to maybe push the start date back a little bit. But I think the positive with cricket is that if we're in stage two restrictions, it can very much go ahead because it's sort of sport where you can really easily social distance. You can you can get around a lot of the uh, issues with COVID. So it and also it doesn't really rely on crowds to generate revenue and uh, you know people coming through the gates and a lot of the time. If people are at the cricket, they're just sitting in their cars anyway and sort of, you know, having a bit of an afternoon nap or whatever it is in the sun and just watching the game. So it's a bit different to footy in that respect. So I'd expect cricket can probably go, will probably be able to go ahead. Don't forget to subscribe to The Standard through our website for all our stories and features. We acknowledge the traditional owners of country, the Gunditjmara people, and the traditional owners of country throughout Australia, and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. This has been a Warrnambool Standard production.